0: Well, this morning we continue our series, a series in which we have called Posture. And it's a series that tiptoes through the book of Colossians and looks at these six postures that Paul has given to the church in Colossae, this church that is in transition and dealing with some serious cultural baggage. And he gives us these, gives them these six postures postures so that they can live out an identity that is made complete in Christ, that they can live from the core of who they've been created to be and what God desires them to be. Over the past few weeks, we've looked at five of, uh, four of these postures already. Today, we look at our fifth one, and we're going to be talking about the way prayer or the practice of prayer and how that not only is integral to us at our identity as an individual, but also really what it means for us as a church community. Let me encourage you to keep reading Colossians throughout the week. I said we're tiptoeing through it, right? We don't have time to look at all four chapters, but this is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, It is a letter that is just full of great richness, and I encourage you to find yourselves kind of in it throughout the weeks and learning more of what Paul has really given the church in Colossae as they move through in transition. We've been saying this series is about studying the book of Colossians for six Sundays, studying six important faith postures through six passages. And in many ways, as uh, the pastor that is in transition, these are also the six encouragements or charges that I wish to leave with you as well. You've may heard me mention before, but growing up, I was always amazed at the praying life of my grandfather. You know, I loved staying at my grandfather and grandmother's house. There was something special about uh, when I knew I'd get to spend a few days, a weekend or a week with them, and and. I just loved the adventures that I knew awaited first. But there was also something spiritually touching at a young age that I always paid attention to. You know, a lot of times what would happen is I'd sleep in what was called the den. There was the living room in the den. How many people have houses that have living rooms and dens? Or remember that language, right? And so I would sleep in the den, which was more of the, the house, the room you lived in, and I'd sit there and I'd fall asleep at night to the sound of the chimes of of, uh, kind of this grandfather clock. And in the morning, I always knew without doubt, right around four or five in the morning, that I would hear my grandfather sneak into the den, sit in his recliner, turn this little light on above his recliner. He'd have his work boots off and off to the side getting ready for the day. And he would open his Bible and he would spend close to an hour, reading the scriptures. And, and I kind of, as a kid, was half awake, half asleep at that point, and I'd wake up and kind of peek. And then, you know, I realized that after he had this time in his scriptures, he would be motivated to somehow still pray for an hour. And he'd sit there with this little light on as the sun was coming up, and he'd spend an hour every day praying for everything and everybody in his life. And even at a young age, as I saw and heard him praying there, that moved me. And years later, when he passed, in many ways, that was the legacy that he left. The story people love to tell was the way that he always woke up and dedicated this time to prayer. You know, there was something about this that just felt ideal to me. This is when I think of the scriptures of, of what it means to have a prayer life. That's kind of the image, right, that has been drilled into my head. And in and, and many ways, it's what I think my prayer life as a follower of Jesus should look like. But the truth is, whenever I try to adapt that lifestyle, whenever I try to you know, right, mandate or force myself to live in rhythms like that, the change last very long, not very long, short, right? How many people in your life, you have somebody or have had somebody that was kind of that prayer warrior, and you've kind of looked at them like, man, I wish I could spend as much time in prayer as they do. And, and you realize that there's something special about that. You realize there's a bit of a, a gift or a calling or a closeness to God. And so you begin to try to adapt that lifestyle. But the truth is sometimes when we try to copy and paste or uh, someone else's callings and giftings, it doesn't last long. I honestly believe This sort of prayer life that I saw lived out through my grandfather, through others in my life as well, is something that is a calling and a gift. But I do think that each one of us is called to have a life of prayer. We are all called to live out intentionally this call to prayer at the core of who we are as followers of Jesus. So why I always say, you know, it may not look like that for you. It may look like different. I don't want you to hear an excuse to say, I don't have to pray. Because at the core, and we're going to see it this morning, the core of who we are as followers of Jesus needs to be this great intentionality and approach to prayer. And I think that when we idolize someone else's prayer life and try to copy and paste it, we actually fall short, not only of their example, but missing out on what God really wants for us in our prayer lives. This morning we're going to talk about learning how to posture ourselves uniquely with prayer and how that is an important piece of our identity. Jesus not only taught on prayer several times throughout his earthly ministry, we also see that Jesus demonstrated and embodied a life lived out full of prayer, right? He modeled a prayer life that was so invested that he spent day and night in prayer. In fact, we see multiple times where the, the disciples are tired as Jesus is taken to prayer and they just fall asleep, right? He was invested in a life of prayer. We also see that he had a prayer life that was intimate that that the presence of god was with him when he prayed and and there was a kind of a contagious aspect to this when people saw the way jesus prayed they said lord rabbi father teacher teach us to pray like that there's something special that when you set aside time to pray that we see something happening we see the very presence the character the traits of the father come to The prayer of Jesus' life was also deeply intentional. And this is something that we overlook a lot of times. Jesus' prayers were short. They were not long. In fact, someone has said that the the Lord's Prayer takes 30 seconds, and by and large, that is the longest prayer that we see Jesus say throughout the New Testament. Sometimes his prayers look like this. Be healed or get behind me, right? His prayers are usually short and declarative. They're focused. They bring every situation and every turn of events before God, right before his heavenly Father seeking that the kingdom of God will be present into that situation. I believe, and I'm sure you do as well, that Jesus longs for us to have lives that are embodied and demonstrating a praying faith that is as invested Intimate and intentional as Jesus was. Now, this morning, before we jump into our passage in Colossians, I want us to talk about some of the things that Jesus did teach us about prayer because I think Paul finds a way to highlight all of them in one sentence. In many ways, when you think about the times in Jesus spent teaching on prayer, and he did spend a lot of time teaching on prayer, perhaps even more than he spoke on heaven or hell. That we find that first we are not to, and the King James says this, right? Pray with heaping of empty phrases. But we're supposed to remember, we're supposed to posture ourselves. That God the Father knows what we need, what we want, before we even go to him. And so we're not supposed to, I like to say not waste his time, right? But that's not what the point is. The point is that we're not supposed to approach God with this false sense of sincerity, that we're supposed to just be transparent and honest. We're called to model and mirror the Lord's prayer, this prayer that is focused on really realigning ourselves and everything of who we are back to God's way of seeing everything. Jesus teaches us that we actually are to forgive other people's trespasses or when somebody has wronged us, Because what he says is that if you haven't done that, it actually creates an obstacle in which your own prayers and forgiveness cannot be heard. When you want to pray to God, you want to feel that intentionality, that intimacy, that invested sense of prayer that Jesus has. If you've left something that has been not confessed, there were a sin or, or a wrong against somebody else, then your prayers are actually not heard, right? We're called to pray to God the Father with this attitude of ask. And we find this in Jesus' teaching in Matthews, that we're supposed to ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened to you. We're to make sure our prayers are more than lip service, right? They're to be actually sincere acts of worship. Sometimes we get into patterns of prayer before meals or before bed or in church services that just feel like it's just part of the rhythm, right? Just part of the tradition. And in essence, they become nothing more than lip service because we've forgotten to put our heart and our mind behind it, right? And so Jesus asked us to make sure our prayers are sincere and their acts of worship. He says, many people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me. And then he goes on to say that scribes have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast, but they devour widows' houses and make long prayers. Jesus is uh, judgment against them is that they've made long, insincere, traditional prayers. We're also told to pray in community, right? If two of you agree on earth, Jesus says about anything, then ask, right? You, you are to pray together. If prayer is not just you and God, but it's we and God. It's you and God and we and God. We are to ask so that it can be done in the name of the Father. We're also told that praying together brings God's presence. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be also. We're called to create places of communal worship that are unadulterated, undistracted. In many ways, what we do here is the most important piece of what we do here is prayer and worship together as a community. It's not so much the sense that we get to be together as much as it is in prayer and worship. And if you look at early Jewish traditions or even early church pre-enlightenment issues, sermons, the, the need to be together, are very small scale of importance in the church at that time. Today, if you would go into a Jewish synagogue, a sermon takes up 10 minutes. While the rest of it, three hours, is taken in scriptures of worship and in hours of praying. We are called, and Jesus says, my house shall be called, right? A house of prayer. But we've made it, he says, a den of robbers. Another place, he says, we're called to pray with faith and without doubt, believing and knowing. We're called to intercede, Jesus says, for the trials of the last day. He says this whole thing, pray that your flight will not be in winter. In other words, that we are to be interceding for the struggles of our day, for the, the things in the world around us. We are to intercede for the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. Right? Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, we are to pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send workers, to send laborers, volunteers into his harvest. We are called, Jesus says, to ask for things in his name. He says, "What." You are to do is greater works than me, so that the Father can be glorified in me. Jesus also implores us that we have to love our enemies in such a way and those that persecute us that we actually pray for them, that we are to pray for them, which the word pray there includes this idea of bless, that we are actually to intercede to bring God's blessing onto those in which we are at odds with. Why? He says, so that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. Now these teachings of Jesus are heavy. And, And those are actually all of the teachings of Jesus in prayer. I spent time this week looking at them. And these teachings were so important for the early church that it became a huge part of their identity. In the early church of Jerusalem before John, or Mark, or Matthew, or Luke have written their gospel, before John has had his vision of revelation, before Paul has written to the early uh, churches in his era and, and written to them, there was a document that circulated in the early church in 50 to 55 AD that was a collection of all of the apostles' oral teachings of the day. It's actually older than our gospel accounts. And And in that document, there's seven to eight postures in which a church is supposed to take in prayer. It's about a three-page document. Sixty percent of it is on how to pray or the importance of prayer. As they collected their thoughts on what it means to be a church, they defined prayer in this way that they were, spend to t- they were supposed to take time praying for those who persecuted them and that were their enemies. They were to be moved by such love for others that they were constantly and consistently praying for them. They believed that the church would be a place to confess your sins. And why? is because you wanted not only your own prayers to heard, but you wanted to make sure that you approached Jesus with a clean conscience. They said not confessing your sins and trying to go to prayer prayer brought with it Evil conscience. Think about the importance of prayer in their day in which you had to make sure there was nothing negative in your life because you were somehow manipulating your experience with God. They were to pray using the Lord's Prayer. And they were to pray using the Lord's Prayer not just one time a day, but three times a day. In many ways, this is probably where a lot of people think we've gotten our, you need to pray before a meal. That the early church would practice doing the Lord's Prayer, this constant and consistent alignment back to Him three times a day. This document said that they need to continue to pray short and not be like the hypocrites. They were to pray before every thought and action. What a weighty responsibility to pray before every thought and action. The early church longed for their communities to live out the teachings of Jesus on prayer on their own. Right, a few years later, maybe uh, thirty to forty years later, Paul, as he's writing to a largely non-Jewish church, a church in Colossae, church that's in transition, a church that is struggling. He longs to find their identities postured in this same kind of invested, intentional, and intimate life of prayer. As Paul writes to the church in the middle of transition, he writes to them in Colossians 4, 2-4 on what prayer should look like. If you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to open up or your phone. Colossians 4, Two through four, and this is our second to last posture in which we are looking at. Ray right? Paul has just spent a lot of time exploring how to keep our identity rooted in God, how to continually dress ourselves with the things of God, how to live out our identity in community as a church, and now he's going to give them two postures that need to stay with them. We're going to look at one this week. Keep praying, and next week we'll look at the second to last. Paul in four two through four begins to bring his letter to the church in Klaasat in the same way that he opened it, with the importance of prayer. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful and pray for us too so that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ." For which I am in chains. Remember, Paul is most likely imprisoned at this time. Colossians is one of these letters in which it's called a prison letter of Paul. Pray, Paul says, that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now, without a doubt, what we see as Paul writes to this church that is in transition and struggling and being influenced by the oppressiveness and the identities of culture. He wants them to understand that intentional, invested, and intimate prayer needs to be at the core of their identities as an individual and as a church community, both gathered and on mission. In a few sentences, I think it's two to three, right? Paul really captures the overarching theme or ideas behind all of Jesus' ideas on prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. He encourages and challenges the Colossians church to live lives that are devoted, watchful, thankful, and full of intercession. I desire that for myself. I look at that passage and say, man, that's the kind of prayer life I want, right? Then I begin to get that image of my grandfather. I want to be able to live out that kind of prayer. And as we try to live into it, as we've seen it modeled for us, a lot of times we fall short because we're trying to live out somebody else's gift and calling. For that reason, I think it's important for us to understand the concept of Paul's letter. In, here, in these two verses so that we can figure out how to live it out uniquely in the way that God has equipped us and called us to. The word devote there is the first thing I want to unpack. The King James verse uses the word continue, right? It says that we are to continue in prayer. The NIV says to be devoted in prayer. The idea is that we are to be defined by prayer. If you want to use a word in today's language, it captures the same word, I like the word defined, that our lives should be defined by prayer. That when people look at us, they should see us as praying people. That the church is a place of prayer. Currently, I'm taking a class on healing prayer at Fuller Seminary. and One of the things that has struck me is our professor spent something like 20 or 30 years in Muslim countries. And even though uh, our idea of who Jesus is is different than who they see him as, the prophet Isaiah, they, they see, Isa, they see this important value in being prayed for to the point where they will invite followers of Jesus to pray for them. They will invite children to pray for them because at the end of the day, prayer is important. So when people in a Muslim country looked at the church, these Churches, they said, they are praying people. That's the kind of identity in which we should have. So much that we have this invested, that this intentional, this intimate walk with God that it's contagious to the culture around us. And really, that's what Paul's trying to develop here. You see, in this time, in a country like Colossae, where this Eastern philosophy meets Jewish culture, you didn't really have to have a life devoted to prayer. One day a week, you went and recited a few lines of prayer. As you laid a sacrifice down and you could return to life as normal. But Paul's calling them to live a life that is persistent, that fills our waking moments, to be defined by it. More literally, right, it would mean to persist. And it's actually a legal word. The word for continue or devoted there is a legal word. It means this to adhere to a legal opera, uh, obligation, right? We are legally obligated to be defined by this. Then he goes on to tell them that they are to to be devoted to prayer. And the word for prayer there means that it's a vow. It's an act of worship. That they are to be given over to this kind of intercession, this act of prayer and worship. My favorite word in this passage is watchful. We are called to be watchful in our prayer and be watchful and that and implies that it is to be part of our prayer life it's not you get to pray and then also keep your eyes open as you walk around it is you are to be continually in prayer and the word for I I really like the I'm going to give you a street definition of this it means to be fully woke there's a saying in our time where we love to say I'm woke right you know there's a a lot of conspiracy theories happening right now on Facebook, if you haven't been on, about, you know, what's causing COVID, what's causing this thing and this thing. And at the end of the day, people keep saying, stay woke. You got to be woke, right? This is what is implied in this. Look at what is around you. Look at what is behind you, everything around you. Stay woke. And what Paul is saying, we're going to see that in a minute is that he's hoping that they will pray in such a way that every opportunity and every piece of wisdom that is around them, every danger that they might fall trapped to, is aware to them. That they're fully aware of these things by praying for it. Then he says that they're to be thankful, to be moved by gratitude. This doesn't mean that you just thank God for all of the things that you want. The word here actually means to be agreeable, that the more we invest ourselves in prayer, the more we devote ourselves to prayer and to being watchful, to be woke, the outcome is we learn to live in unity with others, that we learn to live in peace. Because as we align ourselves back to God, as we focus ourselves back to him, as he teaches us of the dangers and the opportunities and the wisdoms around us, we learn to be at unity with others. And then Paul goes into this thing, pray for us, pray for us. He calls them to be connected through intercession. There's a great power in being connected through the act of intercession and praying for each other. What Paul points out here is this posture of prayer. Now I invite you just to think, you know, when something hits the fan in your life or when there's a pressing decision to be made or when life presents a struggle or when your friend is in need and doesn't know where to go. Where is it that you run to? Right? Do you run to a book? Do you run to the internet? Do you Google something? Do you post it to Facebook as a, as a complaint and, and, and you know, rant for a while? Do you dwell on it? Do you hide away for a while and dwell on it? Paul's hope is that the church and closet, the same hope he would have for us, is that we would take every situation and every thought, we would take everyone and everything into prayer. Too many times we only pray when we're in trouble. Too many of us only take to praying for other people when we're asked to. Paul does not want that sort of segregated life for us, in which prayer is segregated into certain corners and times. He wants followers of Jesus to live a life that is defined by prayer. I love the way Paul calls them to pray for him. And to also pray for those he's working with. He gives the responsibility of prayer here. A theologian by the name of N.T. Wright says, This is not a routine request for prayer. And I think that when we see it, sometimes that is how we look at it. Oh, yeah, he's just saying, Pray for me too. But think about this. Rather, the Colossians, they're rather new Christians, they're facing many problems. Their identity has become confused. In many ways, they're lost. And here's Paul. Paul is an apostle. He's been imprisoned. He's been beat up. He's been accosted for for preaching the gospel. He's been at this thing for a lifelong time now, right? He's planted dozens of churches. He's been around the Roman world. He's experienced the mighty works of God. And he turns to a bunch of struggling Christians in which he's providing insight for and invites them to pray for him. You see, in the beginning of Paul's letter, as he opens this letter and writes to the church in Colossae, he tells them that he's praying gratitude for them. He's thankful for them. He's being aware of their role in his life. He's woke and He's also telling them that he prays that they can fully experience identity and power in God. Now here at the end of the letter, he flips that, and he turns it onto them. No matter how respected or senior or immature and new, everyone still needs prayers. We need the prayers of the most humble and normal everyday Christian. Paul invites them to pray that doors will be open, right? Opportunities will be had, and that he can clearly proclaim the mystery of Christ to those around him. Two areas that I invite you to pray for me, for the leaders of our church, for those around you, and for yourselves. That we will see opportunities and doors open. That we'll be fully woke to what's around us. Both danger and opportunity. And that we will preach and proclaim in a way that comes with great wisdom and clarity. The doors will open, if we pray like this, for the inbreaking of God's goodness and good news in the worlds around us, so that all can be reconciled to God, so that all can know his salvation, that can know his presence, his healing. As I said, my grandfather woke up every day in the morning to take everything and everyone in his life to prayer. That's how he took to his call. However, not each one of us is called to that. A really good friend of A.W. Tozer, who was a pastor, once was asked, what does your prayer life look like? And they were really hammering him to, to understand if he had this kind of life that spent hours in prayer. And he said this. Now listen to this. If you're asking me, about getting by myself and spending long hours and periods alone on my knees in prayer, then I would say relatively, I am a prayerless man. He goes on and says, But if you accept praying without ceasing, right without end, as continual, as a humble communion with God, day and night, under all circumstances, the pouring of my own heart out to God in continual unbroken fellowship, then yes, I can say that I pray without ceasing. A.W. Tozer goes on to unpack this story and say that prayer, modeled by Jesus, was communion. Communion with a Father that speaks to us of the necessity of a continual communion of our souls with God. Prayer is to be the act of communion with God. In the same way that we come together to be in community and communion with each other, or we go to a family reunion to be in community and communion with our family, God has asked us, Paul has implored us to live lives in which our souls are in communion, communion and community with the Father. We are called to live lives of prayer in which our soul is in consistent and constant communion with God. I may never have the gift of my grandfather, even though I want it, and you may never develop that gift either. But the truth is, we can all live better lives. It's simple things. Every time an ambulance goes by, stop and pray. It's every time you encounter someone or or a story or someone's name or mine comes to your mind. it's, It's about praying and lifting up that person right now. It's about creating time in your day maybe not an hour but to intentionally focus on praying for others it's as easy as downloading apps like one of my favorite apps is called pray as you go app and it's merely taking 5 minutes out of your day a few times to find yourself surrendered before the lord in a way that you walk away from that encounter feeling more woke to the gospel and to the world around you we're called We pray for our spiritual leaders and in each other and in ourselves in a way that we see God open doors so we can tell others the mystery of Christ, even in the middle of struggle, right? Colossi's in struggle right now. We're called to pray for each other that every time we'll open our mouths, we'll make Christ plain, the salvation, the saving grace of Christ's work on the cross and the inbreaking of his kingdom plain to those around. Paul begged his church to be in prayer in all things. And even when we don't know what to pray, Paul makes mention in another letter that sometimes just taking that, that approach to still going to prayer, you'll find that your spirit, your soul just groans or cries out. The important part is still bringing yourselves together for continual worship through prayer. In fact, I would offer that if you'd enter a place where you don't know how to pray, that perhaps the early church had a great example for us. To going three times a day with the Lord's Prayer, this prayer that aligns us back to God. Albert Moeller says, The Lord's Prayer is the prayer that turned the world upside down. Are you looking for a revolution in your life? There's no clearer call to revolution than when we pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done. But this is a revolution that only God can bring. And prayer reminds us of that, and he will answer it. The Lord's Prayer is less than 20 seconds to read out loud, but it takes a lifetime to learn. Think about it. 20 seconds to read, but a lifetime to realize the surrender that's in it. He says, sadly, most Christians rush through prayer without learning it. But that is to miss the point. Jesus not only taught his disciples to pray like this, he commanded them to. We use the Lord's Prayer to align ourselves, to be woke to the world around us, to be in consistent prayer, taking everyone and everything. I would also offer, as I close, that Brennan Manning, as the worship team comes forward, one of my favorite authors, taught that when we go before the Lord in the Lord's Prayer, we remind ourselves of our identity. And this book that we've been looking at, this book, this letter of Colossians, is a, is a story of identity. He says, every time we pray, our Father in heaven, we remind ourselves of whose we are and whose child we are. Daddy in heaven. I invite you to stand as we close and let us consider how we can live lives that are ruled by prayer and keep each other on a journey of finding out what it means and experiencing our identity as father, son, and daughter.